Father, thank you for tonight. I pray that you would guide and direct as we look into Hebrews and, and that the lessons we learn from your word would uh, benefit each one of us as we strive to grow and serve you. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me make an attempt at quoting this little short section here. Uh, and um, if I do that, then I'll keep working on it. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Concerning him, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For by this time you ought to be teachers, but you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God <clears throat> and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partake, partakes only of milk is an infant. Uh, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So in your notes, number one, many Christians are dull of hearing. I'm dull of hearing physically. I have hearing aids that I wear, though I didn't wear them tonight. I, I don't tend to wear them when I'm going to use this microphone because it gets crowded up there with this thing and my hearing aids both. And, uh, but I can't hear very well, so I can fix it with hearing aids. They actually work quite well. And the cool thing about my hearing aids is they're hooked to my phone so that I can... Uh, at certain times, I can raise the, the level up way high, like in prayer meetings when people pray soft, I can hear them quite well. Or if it gets real noisy, I can lower it down real low so I don't have to listen to the noise. And I can also sort of zero it in so I don't listen to hear anything behind me. I only hear what's in front of me, uh, what I look at. That's really cool. And or I can uh, do filters on it so that I can filter out everything except just human voices which is all I really want to hear anyway. So they're, they're quite handy, and they've really helped my hearing a lot. But this problem here that's being talked about in this passage is uh, the hearing that our uh, soul does, understanding. You become dull of hearing. That is, you don't understand the meaning of Scripture, even when someone explains and teaches it. So uh, I don't know if any of you have been there, where you can think, yeah, yeah, I didn't, uh, I was at a spot at one point where I just se didn't seem to get it, read it, and didn't make sense even when somebody taught it. It just didn't um, come across very well. Some of you might be thinking, I'm still there. <laughs> and uh, so that's a, a sad thing. Number two is that because the word there, it says become, that was a backwards direction become dull of hearing, that is, they have gone backwards from where they once were in their ability to learn and understand the Bible. So this is a bit of a judgment. In other words, we understand that nobody can understand Scripture without God explaining, the Spirit of God leading, enlightening. Uh, the, the Bible is the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. And it was inspired by the moving of the Holy Spirit and is understood by the Spirit of God working in our life. And so when certain things take place, happen, one of the results in the sense of a judgment from God is that we are incapable of understanding what the word of God means. Number uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. So it's obvious that this is a statement that God's making concerning people. And so it's a judgment on their part where he says, make their hearts dull, 
make it so they can't understand. Uh, Matthew 17, 17, Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Number three in your notes is a part of our growth as a disciple of Jesus. We ought to become a teacher to others of what we have learned from the Bible. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers. But instead you have need for someone to teach you. Um, So one of the principles is if you don't teach what you learn, pretty soon you won't learn. If you don't teach what you learn, pretty soon you won't learn. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen through seventeen. All Scripture is inspired, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So the Scripture is inspired by God, understood by that inspiration. If we don't teach others what we have learned, our ability to learn and grow will become arrested and eventually decline. So the principle is, uh, uh, the illustration is a great one. If you've, some of you are planning on going to Israel with the team going from the church, I don't know how, if any of you are, but in, I think in May they're, they're going over there. I've been over to Israel three different times. And um, one of the key locations as far as the bible goes in the history especially of jesus is the sea of galilee much of his ministry was around the sea of galilee on uh, patty and i's 20th anniversary here at the church the church gave us a uh, a trip to israel it wasn't a tour we just went over by ourselves. we bought the airline ticket we got over there we rented a car we bought a little packet of tickets that got us into every park uh, every place that they were doing an archaeological dig. Uh, we had a map of all the locations. And, uh, and so we stayed at a motel in the old city that was part of a church, and all it was was a bedroom. And then there was a, communi- uh, a bathroom that about six different rooms shared. So it was a little bitty thing, but we got it for $10 a night. And we walked inside the city wall from that location, and then we went and stayed at a kibbutz on the Sea of Galilee. And it was really cheap if I did some work on the kibbutz. But it was a dairy, so I was used to that. And so did some work there, and we again stayed for $10 a night, and it was right on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, one of the individuals there, they had a heifer barn, big one, built, and it went right out over the sea, over the water, and it was a slatted floor in the barn, which meant all the cow manure went through the floor into the Sea of Galilee. And I said, uh, so how's that work? We couldn't do that in the U.S., he said, well, we've got it figured out that so much protein is needed to support the algae growth in the lake and which supports the fish growth of this particular species. And as other species eat the species that eat the algae, he said, we grow more fish per, per cubic, whatever they measured it by, than any body of water in the world. I says, is that right? Uh, and all it takes is a little bit of cow manure. And... Uh, so that water runs out of the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Jordan River, runs in and runs out, runs into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is so dead that it won't even grow bacteria. Uh, and the reason is because nothing goes out. S- the Sea of Galilee, what goes in goes out. Same water goes into the Dead Sea and nothing grows there because nothing leaves. 
And uh, they, I was reading the other day, the, sea of Gal uh, the Dead Sea is actually going down because they're pumping out so much water for irrigation uh, that uh, the level's going down. So that's exactly how I work and how you work. If you learn but don't teach, then pretty soon your ability to learn will stop. Instead of being the Sea of Galilee, you are the Dead Sea. So some people have a gift of teaching, but everybody's uh, uh, expected by God to teach, even if it's informal uh, teaching your husband uh, or your wife or your kids or a, um, junior high boys or in WANA class or whatever. Uh, we are expected to pass on what we learn. And if we don't, then there comes a point at which we can't learn anymore. And so whatever the reason, these individuals, he said, we, I'd like to explain to you all about Melchizedek, but I can't. It's too hard to explain to you. You become dull of hearing. By this time, you ought to be teachers, but you have need again to go right back and learn all the little basic uh, Sunday school stuff that you learned once before. Number four, or let me read to you Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 again. Concerning him, that is Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. But though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. I think I've told you this before, but when I enrolled at Western Baptist Bible College, now called Corbin University, they had a test we took when we started, and, it, and we termed it the Bonehead Bible Test. Because if you flunked it, you had to take this Bonehead Bible class, which was really pretty simple. The first book of the Bible is Genesis. The last book of the Bible is Revelation. Uh, 66 books in the Bible, and they went through this basic kind of stuff. And it was embarrassing to enroll at Western Baptist Bible College and flunk the bonehead Bible test. And in fact, we had everybody in campus sort of divided into two, the bonehead Bible people and the non-bonehead Bible people. So these individuals here were bonehead Bible people. They couldn't pass the test. They had to take it all over again. Number four, people who are in this holding pattern of learning are often those who cause the most problems in a church because they've become prideful and a scoffer. <clears throat> One of the characteristics of non-learners is that they uh, become, Proverbs calls a scoffer. If you do a word study on that word scoffer in the book of Proverbs, you'll find out that they, uh, they're difficult to get along with often. And so people that are not learning, growing, changing, become invariably a source of conflict in the church. When I was a kid, we lived uh, 13 miles out of town. We were the second to last farm on the road. And the last farm on the road, before it was all BLM land, were the Woodruffs. And Hank Woodruff was my hero. He knew every deer in the woods by name. And uh, he was just amazing. And uh, when you walked up, he had a long driveway that went uphill for like almost uh, probably a close to a quarter mile. And it was straight, so you could see his house way up there when you started walking up it. And at night, you could see light shining through the walls almost every place. The, uh, the house was built uh, with 1x12s with, with little insulation, a little bit of tar paper, felt paper over the thing, and a wood stove inside the eight kids. And uh, outside, every car that Hank ever owned, every pickup he ever owned was out there on cinder blocks. The wheels were off, but they were up on cinder blocks. And on the bumper of every one of the cars or pickups was a hound dog. And that was their house under the car. 
And so we used to go coon hunting or bobcat hunting periodically, Dad and I, with Hank, and we would go up and he would turn all the dogs loose and they'd get in the back of the pickup and we'd drive up this road about 10 miles and build a fire and turn the dogs loose and pretty soon they'd get on a coon. And uh, it was really fun sitting around the campfire because he'd hear one of them bark and he'd say, oh, that was Susie, that's Susie. That's good because she's the fast one. That means we got a bobcat and not a coon. And then pretty soon he says, oh, Hank caught up, Hank. And then he'd tell, oh, they're up the tree. Let's go put the fire out and go. And I always got to shoot the coon. Uh, but I didn't get to shoot the bobcats. Dad did that. When I went up there one time, I asked Hank, I said, why do you always keep your dogs tied up? He said, because if I le uh, leave them loose, they'll fight. He said, they'll chew each other's ears off. And then when we were getting ready to go hunting and he turned them all loose and they all jumped to the back of the pickup, 12 dogs, I said, well, they're not fighting now. He says, that's because they're going hunting. He says, when hunting dogs are hunting, they don't fight. But when they lay around and do nothing, then they fight. I've often thought of that uh, story when I think about churches, uh, people who are not growing, people who are not serving, people who are not witnessing, uh, functioning as a believer, um, tend to be like a hound dog. They chew other people's ears off. They create conflict and problems. Proverbs 1.22, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Proverbs 9, 7, he who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. He who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Back in the early days of my pastoring, especially when I was having difficulties, I would go and meet with um, Pastor Bard Marshall in Salem regularly, almost weekly, and and he would just sort of mentor, train me, and I'd take questions in and ask him. And one of, I remember one of the things he, he said, one of the first lessons you have to learn as a pastor is you have to be able to spot a scoffer. You have to know scoffers. You've got them in your church. I said, why? He said, because when you spot one, you're just nice to them. You smile and nod your head, and you never try to correct anything they say. He said, because it will always just get you grief. They aren't teachable. They're not correctable. And it will just create a problem in your life. So just tolerate them. Just put up with them. Smile. Nod your head. And avoid them as much as you can. I says, is it hard to learn? Uh, spot a scoffer? He says, you'll know a scoffer once you've started to try to teach them something or tell them something. And then once you start figuring that out, uh, you'll get better and better at spotting those that are scoffers in your church. I pass that along to a lot of different pastors. Uh, if you want to uh, have some level of peace in your ministry, learn how to spot a scoffer. I had to take a class years ago on how to tell the difference between different geese because certain geese you couldn't shoot, other geese you could. And... Uh, I remember taking the test thinking, how in the world does a person tell the difference between one goose and the other when they're flying in the air? Uh, but if you shot the wrong goose, you got in trouble. And so I remember sh I shot a wrong goose one time. And uh, when I walked up, I could see he was a wrong goose, so I just kept walking, pretending like I couldn't find him. <laughs> uh, I did a bad job spotting the, the goose uh, uh, breed at that point. And so learning how to spot a scoffer is 
important. Proverbs 14, 6. Scoffer seeks wisdom, finds none. Knowledge is easy to the one who is understanding. Proverbs 22, 10. Drive out the scoffer and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. 1 Corinthians 3. I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men. I couldn't speak to you. I couldn't teach you. I couldn't preach to you as spiritual, but as to men of flesh, as to infants. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, which milk is basically simple, easy to understand stuff. You are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. You're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? Number five, the activity and discipline of teaching others what we have learned can take dozens of shapes and forms. So I teach, and obviously this is a somewhat of a formal uh, setting with a classroom and PowerPoint and notes that you fill in. Uh, you can teach children. You can teach one-on-one in a mentoring, discipling program. You can teach in a small group uh, You can informally pass on information as you have a conversation with someone and they may ask you a question. And uh, as you successfully teach, you then will open up opportunities. God always is the one who opens up doors. And so as we grow and study and learn, he will provide many opportunities for us to pass information on to other people. Maybe a counseling situation any number of times. But the key thing is that it's a... Good thing to ask ourselves the question, do I teach formally, informally, old, young? Am I doing anything? Because if you don't pass what you learn on, uh, you will get to the point where you can't learn. And uh, that's not a good place to be. Psalms 34.11, come you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So Frank could probably do this one, teach people while he sings. Uh, I remember a singer years ago, I don't know if he still sings now or not, but he was one of my favorites, uh, John Fisher. And his songs were, uh, you you learned a lesson from the words that were in the song. And I used to thoroughly enjoy listening to new songs that he wrote because you'd hear almost a little mini-sermon in the song, and then as he would sing it, then it sort of, uh, you relearned it and relearned it. Titus 2, 3, Older women, likewise, also be reverent in your behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So the, the, probably the most prevalent or ought to be the most prevalent kind of teaching in a church is the kind that takes place between one individual and another. And the one individual is mature. Uh, they've been walking with Christ for a number of years and they teach someone that's less mature. Uh, ladies teaching older women, teaching y- younger women, not necessarily in age, but in spiritual faith. Those who have been believers for a while teaching new, new believers and, and the same thing with men. And the, uh, I know for me, I have a number, a bunch, probably close to 50 uh, men in our church that are teaching other men on a discipling kind of basis. Uh, some voluntary, much of it a signed kind of thing. 
And so if someone gets, starts coming and I have a conversation and it's obvious they don't know a lot, say, would you like to meet with somebody periodically just to kind of learn some basic stuff about the Bible? And they say, sure, sure. And then it's an easy thing to pair them up and that teaching takes place. Six, a very, uh, very few good things just happen to us unless we decide, plan, initiate, set a goal. So if you come to the conclusion, uh, I don't teach. I don't teach kids. I don't teach adults. I don't teach formally. I don't teach informally. And so one of the things that you ought to decide is I want to become a teacher. And so writing that down in the state of, in the form of this is what I would like to do. This is what I want to do. And uh, I will make a goal of somehow finding some avenue, some uh, outlet for me to be able to teach somebody something in the next year. Now, the very writing of that down will create in you a sensitivity to opportunities. A lot of people are given opportunities. They don't see it because they're not looking. Uh, They assume that all the teaching is done by the staff or people who have the gift of teaching. And because they're not a public speaker, they don't think that fits their role. But uh, you can teach in all kinds of situations that, have, that are not public at all. And in fact, often those are the best forms of teaching. Ezra 7.10, Ezra had set his heart, set his heart, that means he made a goal, to study the law of the Lord, to, re, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so he made this decision. I'll study it, I'll learn it, I'll put it into practice, and I'll teach it to others. And because of that commitment that he made, we have a book in the Bible called Ezra. Number seven, the word practice in Hebrews 5.14 is from the Greek word gymnasto. I uh, am in about six different men's accountability groups. And in every one of the groups, there's at least several that uh, have a goal to work out in the gym for weight loss, for physical uh, a strength for health for whatever reason and uh and so they'll say yeah, i didn't make the gym this week or i made it three times gym uh, stands for gymnasium and the greek word gymnasto is where that word practice comes from and it's as the idea of plan routine strenuous increase in strenuous uh, Hebrews 5.11 again, concerning him we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness for he is an infant. Um, But solid food is for the mature who because of practice Gymnasto, they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Um, the word discern um, means that there's an intuitiveness about it. It's sort of like uh, when Patty and I, uh, Sarah, our oldest, was born, when she hit uh, two years of age, she started piano lessons. And she practiced 30 minutes, 365 days a year. And then when Sandy hit two years of age, she started piano lessons. And every one of the kids did, well, with eight kids, piano lessons could get expensive. So Patty did it until they got up to a certain age. 
And one of the things I would hear her say, we got two pianos, a keyboard, and a piece of cardboard with the keys on it uh, so everybody could practice something. But I would hear from the kitchen yell at the kids practicing, listen, listen. If you listen to what you're playing, you will know when you hit a wrong note. Otherwise, she would have to tell them, no, you did that wrong. Start over, do it again. And so she would say that, listen. And if Frank sings a solo in church and hits a wrong note, I will know it. Most everybody will know it. A few people won't. Maybe not Bill Schutzman. But uh, most people, they can just feel it. You don't even hear it. It just kind of makes you shiver, go up your spine when somebody goes a little flat when they sing. Uh, you just... Uh, even though if you're not musically inclined, you can do that. So this word discern means that there's this sense inside of you, this isn't right, this isn't accurate, this isn't true. And so those who by gymnasto, by practice, have their senses trained, their senses, speaking of our heart, trained to discern uh, that which is good and that which is evil. They know the difference because of practice, which would mean a regular reading of God's word every day, every day, every day, memorizing it, studying it. Number eight, in Hebrews 5.13, the word accustomed to suggests that there ought to be some volume to our routine of Bible reading. They're accustomed to the word of righteousness. It's a regular part of their life. It's what they do. Number nine, everybody got that blank filled in. Like accustomed to the word of righteousness, some volume to your Bible reading. Number nine, as we faithfully read, study, and memorize the word of God and then teach it to others, we will learn more and more of the deeper things in the word. We will become a Bible scholar. So when you teach what you learn, you're able to learn more. And when you study, become accustomed to the word of righteousness by the volume that you read and by the regularity and the discipline of it, like going to the gym. Your understanding of the Bible grows. And one of the things that Isaiah says is line upon line, precept upon precept. And so the Bible is written like a math book that has one plus one and advanced calculus all mixed together. So you read this math book that's written... That way you read all the way through the math book. You'd know nothing about math and you only get a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here because basic math is scattered through the whole book. And then the next time you go through it, you have that down. And so the next time you go through it, you understand the two plus two. That's scattered out through the book as well. And so then you finish and you go through it again. And because you got the one plus one down and the two plus two down, now you're up to three plus three. And you get that as you read through uh, the math book. Every time you read through it, you move up a level of understanding because everything that you need to learn that's harder is built on what you already learned. And so the Bible is written like that. It's not written as a theology book that has everything categorized in chapters. Uh, the easy things first, the hard things last, this topic, that. It's all mixed together in the form of stories and lessons and sermons. Uh, and some parts of the book are easy, some parts are hard, but as we read through it from cover to cover on a regular basis, every time we go through line upon line, precept upon precept, principle upon principle, doctrine upon doctrine, and as we learn and then teach related to others, 
our sensitivity to truth grows, our dependence on God, also asking him to lead us into truth, and we study, we write, we're, and we get increasing our knowledge of the Bible grows, and we become like Ezra, someone that's called a scribe, a scholar. Number 10, as we faithfully read, study, and memorize the word of God, we will become very wise. We will know what is right and good in every situation we are in. Pastor Mike is doing a sermon series on wisdom. And uh, if we were to write out uh, 10 steps to acquire wisdom, uh, the first step would be to read the Bible regularly over and over and over again. Psalms 119, verse 97 says, I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. I have more wisdom than my teachers. I have more wisdom than my teachers. I understand more than the aged because I meditate on your word day and night. So as we read the word, as we study the word, as we teach the word, formally, informally, old, young, uh, whatever opportunity God provides, as we memorize it, as we apply it to our own life, um, Every time through it, we pick up more and more and more because we have the mind of Christ, which is the word of God. We're able to discern, understand that which is good, that which is true, that which is false through the course of a day. When you hear somebody talk, you hear and you recognize that's wise stuff and you collect it. You hear someone else talk and you understand, you discern that's not very accurate got a bit of a twist to it and so you discern good and evil and you're able to pick up and collect information all through the course of the day because you have this discernment because of practice because you're accustomed to the word of righteousness because you're mature you eat solid food and you're not an infant who only can feed on milk uh, so if the important thing i think often is we would evaluate our own life think about who we are where we are um, you can get on the scales and decide whether you're overweight or not by looking at the number. I've gone on this diet January 1, and one of the things that primary reason is because of Dr. Julie. Some of you know Dr. Julie Gilbert. And she has this machine, like $10,000 it costs. When you take your shoes off and stand on it and you look at the screen, it will tell you everything but your middle name. It'll tell you what percentage of body fat you are, what percentage of your fat is brown fat, white fat, purple fat, pink fat, red fat, where it's located, how much muscle you have in your arms and your legs. I mean, it's just like, it was totally depressing when I stood on it, <laughs> which is one of the reasons I started it on my diet. So I'm supposed to go get my second stand on the machine session tomorrow. I'm thinking about calling in sick. So it would be cool if you could stand on something like that and it would tell you, mature, not so mature, growing, plateaued, an infant, a sloth, a scoffer, 
Now, I don't know whether that would motivate you or not. Uh, one of the conditions of scoffers is they don't really care. Uh, Proverbs says, a fool delights in his own foolishness. But self-evaluation, self-assessment, and pressing on to learn to grow, to become a fully devoted follower of a disciple. Disciple is a learner. And we have the Bible. It's ours. And uh, it's amazing how our flesh and the devil keeps us from reading it with any degree of regularity, with any degree of sacrifice, uh, becoming a scholar that wants to learn and teach what we learn to others. Concerning him, we have much to say. It's hard to explain. You have become, you have become dull of hearing. By this time, you ought to be teachers, but instead you have need for someone to teach you all over again the elementary, simple, basic things of Scripture. And so we don't ever want to get to that point. And so it's just a matter of setting our mind like Ezra did to study the word, to practice it, and to teach it.